Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Erin Bookie, and we have a fun show for you today with lots of news, summer entertaining, and potluck tips, and a chat with George Esquivel, founder of Four Corners Brewery, about what's going on in the beer world. It's going to be really fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make every recipe in the cookbook foodie or a my favorite recipe is reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show. This is going to be a good one, so be sure to visit dallasnews.com slash food after this for detailed show notes of everything we talk about. And if you want us to answer your questions or talk about something specific, send us a voice memo via our form at dallasnews.com slash food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about summer entertaining and sharing our favorite potluck dishes. But right now, we have food reporters Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller on to talk about food news, trends, and important things we are following. Hi, guys. What's up? Hi, Erin. Hi. Okay, so summer is always fun food time. And so I thought we'd kick this news broadcast off with a story that Sarah Bahari did for us on... Martin House Brewery, which is the brewery in Fort Worth that always does the crazy flavors, like the pickle beer, stuff like that. So this season, they launched a hot dog water seltzer. And I just cannot even imagine what kind of niche audience this is aiming for. Um, What do you guys think? Do you want to try it? No. (laughs) I I will try it, but I don't think that I would like it. I mean, if I understand right, they like literally took the water that hot dogs were boiled in and used that <laughs> yes. to make the drink, right? Yes. In the story, it says it's brewed with the leftover water from 52 pounds of boiled frankfurters. Wow. You. <laughs> and this is a seltzer, not a beer, right? Yeah. It's a seltzer. Man. Yeah. I just don't know about that. I mean, think so about it's it. It's like bubbly. Hot dog water. <laughs> it's yeah. like with some cold. booze in it, but the booze doesn't taste like anything. It's it's empty booze with a hot dog water flavoring and some bubbles. Yes. It's a no. I mean, I will try it like you, Claire, because I care about this city and the things that are created in it. But ooh. Yeah. I, I okay, just think about it. It's like you're taking something that's already a little questionable. Even yeah, if you love sure. hot dogs, I mean, come on. It's emulsified meat chunks. It's, that, it's really one of the grossest things that exists, it, I think. Uh, yes. Water. Well, and, and hot dogs in general are just like a little bit, uh, you know. And, and then, and believe me, I eat them. But, and then you you take 
the water that they've been like marinating. <laughs> no, it's just a, I thought it was a joke at first, but it's, it's definitely not a joke. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's not thing. April Fool's, which is how I think we know <laughs> this is not a joke. This would be a perfect April 1st Facebook post. Well, and Erin, yes. the other one, so there's a, there's a hot dog flavored hard seltzer, but then there's also a barbecue sauce beer. Right. And as our resident barbecue fanatic, <laughs> uh, I, I also don't want to try this one. Uh, but I will. And I, that's saying something because I love barbecue sauce and I love barbecue. But it it's made from barbecue sauce from T&D Barbecue in Weatherford. Mm-hmm. This is not a barbecue place I'm familiar with um, and is not kind of on the barbecue circuit of these very high regarded places. So I don't, I don't know what the barbecue sauce tastes like, but it has, you know, all the regulars. It has pepper, garlic, onion powder. Then it has some cayenne, cinnamon and soy sauce. Mm. Uh, and then it's, you know, turned into a boozy beverage like you do. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Are there any weird beers that you guys have tried in the past that you actually do like? I will do a pickle beer. Mm-hmm. I'll do like yep. half a pickle beer from Martin House. This is the same brewery making these two drinks. Uh, the trouble is I get about halfway through it and it's not cold enough and I haven't yeah, had it fast enough. And then I'm all done. Then it's warm pickle beer and that's just... Yep. Yeah. Is it pickle juicy? Oh yeah, yeah. Very salty and and very you know vinegar pickle juicy. Yeah, mm. very strong pickle flavor. For a pickle fan, it they're they're fun. You can also cook with it, which is kind of fun. Oh, that's oh, a good yeah, idea. Yeah, with it, stick it up a chicken or whatever when you're <laughs> roasting it. <laughs> Truly, yeah. Or you could you could pour it in some beans. You could put it on barbecue before you smoke something. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good idea. Okay, well, maybe we'll try that. Maybe that'll be our next taste test. (laughs) Cooking with hot dog water, seltzer, or beer can chicken with pickle juice beer. I'm not (laughs) cooking with the hot dog water, for what it's worth. (laughs) Count me out on that one. Cook a hot dog with hot dog water. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I can't can't get anyone to taste that one with me. Okay. All right, so moving on, talking about chicken again. There was a really fun story that, um, Sarah, you did this past week about Shaq's Chicken Restaurant coming to North Texas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That was a fun one. Sure. The restaurant is called Big Chicken, and it's a fast, casual place. They already have them in uh, a little over a handful of places in uh, across the United States. It started in Las Vegas, and the menu is basically Shaq and his friends' favorite foods and or like spoofs named after his buddies. So there is the... Um, Uncle Jerome, which is a hot chicken sandwich, and Jerome was Shaquille O'Neal's bodyguard. Yeah. So maybe Uncle Jerome likes spicy food. I don't know. But he gave him a menu item on his restaurant menu. And then uh, Charles Barkley has a sandwich named after him. This is a fried chicken sandwich loaded with mac and cheese, crispy fried onions, and oh, roasted yeah. garlic barbecue aioli. If it mm. sounds huge, it is, <laughs> as is Charles Barkley. Um, <laughs> but the deal with Shaq's big chicken chain is that... There are 50 of them, 56, in fact, that are going to open across Texas, and some of those will be in DFW. We don't know how many, but we do know that Shaq recently bought a home in Collin County, and so I asked the CEO of Big Chicken if the company would also be moving into Collin County, and he didn't answer a yes or no, but said he'd be shocked if, you know, they didn't have a place in Plano, Frisco, Prosper, you know, that kind of area. Yeah, but I think we'll see big chickens in in many cities and suburbs in DFW in the next uh, coming years, and uh, you know more than 150 are expected to open in the next five to six years. 
Wow. That's well, a lot. That's, yeah. It seems like. Also, a fun fact about this is they have – well, they have giant milkshakes, which is just a fun thing to have at a chicken restaurant. But also they have a cookie that's the circumference of an NBA basketball. <laughs> Isn't that Which is not necessary, but it's just like this funny little touch that like I picture like I'm going to take my two-year-old and five-year-old little girls into this place and they're going to want a cookie that's bigger than my face and it's going to last, you know, three weeks. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> funny. With a giant milkshake. Yeah. Everything is huge. That's funny. <laughs> okay. And so moving on to another fun um, story that did really well. Uh, one of our interns, Dana Gerber, wrote about Keller's Hamburgers. Finally taking credit cards after what? How many years has it been? More than 70. More than 70. That's right. I was like, I know Sarah has done the oldest restaurants, so she knows. Yep, you know it. Yep. <laughs> so she knows how old it is. And so what do you guys think about that? Have there been other places you've seen that have kind of stuck with the cash only for a while? Or is this kind of the one of the last holdouts? I do think that it is rare for a restaurant to only take cash, but on the flip side, we're seeing some restaurants in DFW that only take credit, and you'll start uh. to see more of those. So, you know, an example, Foxtrot Coffee, no cash, only credit. Oh, interesting. Uh, Lucky's Hot Chicken, no cash, only credit. But Keller's, you know, has lived for so long, has such character. I'm a person that never carries cash and loves Keller's. Okay. So if not for my sweet husband, who often has at least enough cash for our family to have a couple hamburgers, I probably wouldn't be able to eat at Keller's ever. But something I sort of loved the charm that you had yeah. to bring cash. And also, for anybody who hasn't been to Keller's in a while, think about if you can visualize Keller's and the people who are parked there, the waitresses carry the cash in their fist. Mm -hmm. So they do like the ones and fives and they they fold them in a certain way and put them between their fingers mm -hmm. so that when you give them, you know, $25 and they owe you back, you know, whatever change, they they grab it from exactly the right finger and can quickly count it out. Um, it's like just sort of adorable. Yeah. And it's neat that they carry credit cards because now folks like me can eat there more. And we all should because Keller's is a treasure. But when Dana wrote the story that said it wasn't cash only, something about me felt sad. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of charm with that. Like it was part of the charm with the the wait staff and everyone holding I agree. cash. So yeah, kind of takes you back in time with it a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And sort of forces me to go get cash. <laughs> yeah, the last time I was there, we did not have cash on hand. And they took our order. And the wait was long enough that we were able to run and, and grab cash from a nearby ATM. But it, it definitely is going to be much more convenient now. So I want to ask the group on the topic of Keller's, how do we feel about a poppy seed bun on a cheeseburger? Since, you know, last week we talked about cheeseburgers. And as we know, I'm passionate about it. I know y'all are too. So Keller's is famous for its poppy seed bun. Yes or no? Yes, yes absolutely. I love oh, poppy seed buns. I love them. <laughs> I do too, except for the poppy seeds in your teeth. This is like the kind of, if you're on a date at Keller's, let's pretend it's 70 years ago and you're on a date at Keller's, you hope that your date is kind enough or helpful enough that he or she will tell you <laughs> when you've got a poppy seed in your teeth. Yeah. That's all you need at the end of Keller's. It's just a really good friend. Yeah, that's true. And I actually did have a poppy seed stuck in my teeth on last Friday when we went to Fount Board and Table and had the, had the everything bagel with- Oh, Yeah. The salmon and all of that. I went home and saw poppy seeds and I'm like, 
oh my gosh, you guys did not tell me that I did not I know that her did not notice. <laughs> you weren't close enough would to have told me you. to be looking yeah, at Yeah, I would have teeth. told you. <laughs> That's what friends are for. Yes. It was really delicious, though, that bagel. And um, I forget what the sandwich is called, but it was the salmon with cream cheese and capers and all that. The lox bagel. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of poppy seeds and I like them on burgers too. All right. So back to back to beer. Sarah, you also had um, a fun story last week about a local brewery that was closing, but kind of not really. Yes. So Steam Theory Brewing Company in West Dallas closed its tap room, said the low traffic from the pandemic basically killed them, but that they didn't want to give up. So they allow a brewery in North Carolina to brew their beer over there on the East Coast. And then that beer can be sold in, I believe, cans uh, via mail, like as in in the mail. Wow. Or they're going to start distributing it on the East Coast. So a virtual brewery is something we haven't talked about very much and I haven't seen a lot of. Some folks said that maybe it was time to admit defeat and just say our business didn't work. It's time to move on. But, you know, there's this other school of thought that if the beer recipes are good enough, and I'm not really here to judge if they are or were, but if the beer recipes are good enough, could someone else make them and then you cut your overhead of owning a large facility, pumping it with AC and heat during different seasons? And then, of course, coming up with a whole other menu for people to eat while they're drinking beer. So all those pieces are gone and they say now they're just brewers, but that somebody else is going to do that work for them. And uh, they will simply quality check and potentially come up with new recipes. I'll be on the lookout to see if we have more virtual breweries popping up. It is an interesting way to preserve a legacy, Mm -hmm. but I also think these companies that are struggling should check whether they should continue. Um, It's, it's been a tough time for breweries specifically. They were shut down longer than restaurants. Right. And I think they struggled more. Many are much smaller um, in terms of the profits that they make. And many craft breweries, especially in DFW, are also much newer. Yeah. So if you had restaurants that have been around five, 10 years, you got breweries who opened just before the pandemic and then eked their way through it. Um, Seam Theory was not quite that situation. It opened in 2018. Okay. So I would call that new, but not brand new. Right. Um, but I'll be following other stories like this to see if virtual brewing becomes a thing. I mean, what do you both think about the business model of it? Yeah, I'm just like, I'm kind of a logistics person. So I'm like, how, <laughs> you yeah. know, but, yeah. um, but also I'm wondering, is this similar to like the ghost kitchen trend that restaurants are doing instead of having, having a dining room, you know, you can just order, um, even though I know it's like delivered to your house, but it seems sort of a similar concept. Yeah, I think that's a good parallel to make, Aaron. And I think something we should think about is uh, for those of us who have ordered ghost kitchen food, it is often quite not good <laughs> or not nearly as good as it was in the restaurant, as you remember it. Um, I hope that's not an unfair sweeping judgment, but I've been incredibly disappointed with ghost yeah. kitchen food on the whole. Yeah, so I much agree. so that I don't order it very much anymore because I know it's not going to be the same as the place that I used to love. Um so is that the same with beer or not? I don't know yet. What do you think, Claire? I don't know. I think I think it's going to be a question of people's appetites for that experience, that type of experience, right? Same with ghost kitchens of 
um, how, you know, during the pandemic, it was like a total necessity to be able to offer that and to be able to get food that way. And now that people can be back in person and gathering over food and drinks, I just wonder how these businesses that are relying solely on a remote virtual model will do. Like, will people want that going forward? I don't know. I I tend to think maybe not really. Kind of depends on, you know, that brand loyalty too. If you're not seeing it and being there and interacting with people, you might tend to just forget about it also. And that's so much of the experience. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks, guys. Stay tuned as the three of us talk about summer entertaining and our favorite potluck dishes. We'll be right back. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. All right. Welcome back. This is Eat Drink DFW. I'm Erin, and we're back with Sarah Claire and joined by our producer, Natalie Keogh, to talk about summer entertaining as July 4th approaches. We all love a good summer picnic or party, and we've been asking almost everyone we know about what they bring to a summer potluck because we're also always looking for new ideas. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Natalie. I'm glad you're joining us. Yes, I'm glad to be here. Me too. I love Natalie. All right. So first off, let's talk about our go-to potluck dishes for the summer. I usually kind of go with a summery salad type thing that doesn't have a lot of mayo um, that travels well, uh, etc. It's a little bit like the popular Jennifer Aniston salad, which I did try once, Um, but I think it's a little bit better. What about you guys? So I love potlucks and I host, I help host the Dallas Morning News potluck every year around Thanksgiving. Um, And it's funny because I love to host a dinner party. I love to host a potluck, but I freak out every time I have to cook (laughs) for other people. I especially freak out if I have to cook for other food people because I care so deeply about food and I know the people eating do too. Um, On top of all this, I'm a huge college football tailgater. So we eat food in the hot, hot sun all fall, all day on Saturdays, pretty much every Saturday until Thanksgiving. At tailgates, it's always barbecue. Okay. And then I was kind of the team mom for years. And so I'd bring a breakfast casserole for everybody at the beginning of the day. And then I'd usually have some kind of mac and cheese or something sort of carby that we could eat with barbecue. But it's usually ribs, brisket, turkey, sausage wrapped up in a tortilla and you stand there and eat that with that in your fist and a beer in your other fist. So wow. uh, when it comes to potlucks, I like a little bit of a uh, maybe a more refined dish. And I used to be the person who always brought dessert. But now um, I bring the same thing almost everywhere for the last couple of years. And this is a cold vegetable salad mm-hmm. with diced cucumbers, corn and cherry tomatoes with a fair amount of feta in there. And then I make a cilantro vinaigrette and douse that over the top and give it a little toss. It turns everything just a light minty green color. Um, Yummy. And it's fresh and it's super easy to put together. It contains ingredients that people usually don't freak out over. You don't have a lot of folks who are like, oh, my gosh, I don't eat, you know, cucumbers. I don't eat tomatoes. It's just, you know, an easy, 
easy to put together, easy to eat, and goes as a side for all the other things you're going to eat at the potluck, which is just the weirdest variety of things on one plate, you know, I think of any meal we ever eat. Um, so that that's my go-to. What about you, Claire? Okay. So when I am bringing things to a potluck or group dinner, I love doing anything on a platter because to me, like if you're, if you're bringing something on a platter, it's something that is going to be usually pretty easy to eat standing up or at least not requiring like a bowl spoon situation, um, which to me is ideal. One of my go-tos is like a big platter salad where I'll do um, usually butter lettuce. I think that's always like kind of a crowd mm-hmm. pleaser. So I'll do not like a big lettuce, Claire. Sometimes, maybe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not, as, not as much <laughs> of an iceberg <laughs> stan as you, Aaron. I do love it though. Um, so I'll do greens and mm-hmm. then do kind of like a cob salad, but not finely chopped. So I'll do um, halved jammy eggs. So mostly solid, but, you know, still a little soft. Um, Bacon, but not bacon bits. We're we're talking bigger chunks of Mm -hmm. bacon. I'll get rotisserie chicken, which cuts down on time and prep um, and break down the chicken and and use the rotisserie meat on there. Um, Tomatoes, avocado. I'll do some pickled onion or grilled red onion um, and just kind of load it up with things like that. And then I like to make a honey mustard vinaigrette. And it's one of those things that like people can pick off what they want on their Mm -hmm. plate, which is great. And like either eat it as a salad or just like skip the greens and just take the meat and stuff off the top. Um, So that's one of my favorites. And then I love doing a loaded hummus. So uh, when I have the time, I'll make hummus myself, but it's a great option because you can also just buy store-bought hummus. Mm -hmm. And I like to just put hummus down on a platter and then load it with cut up vegetables like cucumber, tomato, feta, olives. I like to do toasted pine nuts, maybe some roasted red pepper, um, and then drizzle it with really good olive oil, maybe some smoked paprika. And you can kind of make it whatever you want. You can put pesto on it or crisp up chickpeas to have on top if you want something crunchy. Um, And it's so stunning. It's so good. uh, And it's always a big crowd pleaser. Um, and then I also like to do like a pita spread, which I've done at times mm-hmm. too, where same kind of platter concept, um, where people can kind of take what they want and do a whole bunch of grilled chicken, crisp veggies, whole bunch of herbs, um, lots of dill, and then like tahini sauce and or tzatziki and then pita as well. And people can just like make their own, um, pita sandwiches. I really like interactive food. So <laughs> if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a dish that I would like park myself by at a potluck. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's my spot. <laughs> well, Claire, your recommendations remind me of something that a um, a charcuterie board company owner talked to me about. This is actually the woman who owns Fount, where we all yeah, gathered yeah. last mm-hmm. week. But um, she she taught us how to build a beautiful charcuterie board. And one of the things she said well, there are a couple things that are totally related to what you just said, Claire. First is she never puts a sign on her charcuterie board to tell people what they're eating. Mm-hmm. And here's oh. why. She says a lot of people think they don't like something and they won't try it. So I don't like blue cheese. I'm not trying the blue cheese. But if it doesn't look like the traditional blue cheese they think they know, we're going to spoon that on right next to the grapes and the nuts and the, all the other. Try it. And oh, my gosh, 
I actually do like blue cheese. So I think I thought that was a really cool tip. And the other thing she said is to cut everything into bite-sized pieces and to think that your person consuming only has one hand because mm-hmm. the other hand is they they're holding do. a plate yeah. or they have a drink or they have a child or they have all these things. And so every single thing on the plate needs to come off easily and immediately and then can be eaten right away, right in your mouth or can be put right on a plate. And Claire, your board sounds like it does that same thing, even mm-hmm. though it's not a charcuterie board. And I I thought that that was just a really like, that's like, how do people use your food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you make it easiest for them to enjoy it? And I that's a tip I hadn't thought about at all. Yeah. yeah I, I think that. I think that's something that you have to think about when you're bringing dishes to like a summer gathering is always think about like, what is the user experience here? Also, like, are you standing outside in the heat? That would definitely impact mm-hmm. what I would bring. Are yep. you sitting down for a proper meal with like real plates and forks and knives? Like that would also change, you know, what I'm going to bring. But generally, I think for most gatherings, like backyard type of gatherings, like, yeah, go go the one-handed route if you can. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great tip. And what about you, Natalie? What are what are you and your your friends sort of doing for summer entertaining? I know you were telling me they're they're really into it right now. Yeah. Um, I'm like sitting here like I have to follow up that. Um, so, <laughs> uh, usually for a potluck, I will bring like everyone else, some kind of salad, something cold. Um, my go-to right now, at least for the summer, is um, an arugula salad with grilled peaches, prosciutto, um, mozzarella balls. And I'll toss that in um, in some olive oil, salt, pepper, and then do a balsamic glaze on top. Um, it's mm-hmm. just really easy to do and and it's yummy, at least to me. I like it. Um, and so I just I, I just assume everyone likes it. Um, I've also been very much into baking bread. Um, doesn't oh. matter what time of the year it is. I will bake some bread and bring it over. Um, I have a cast iron or a Dutch oven, excuse me. I have a Dutch oven that I've just been baking tons of bread in. Um, my mom, had a party a few weeks ago and I just, I made two loaves of bread and I just, I mean, I ate it. Everyone else ate it. I thought it was good. I've had a really terrible habit of attempting a dessert, like any kind of dessert for a potluck. And it, it almost (laughs) never goes well. Um, or at least I think it never goes well, but I have realized that I do have one dessert that is usually pretty good. Like in the past, I've tried to make like a version of whiskey cake, which actually isn't that bad. Um, I once tried to do like Mm. lemon bars, which were not very good. Um, But I've now started to rely on um, a lemon olive oil cake. And it's just like this very dense cake that's really yummy. Um, And I personally love lemon and citrus. And so it is just like a really good balance of... Mm -hmm. It's not too sweet either. Um, So... I have been making those for any kind of potluck. Um, but Aaron, you had mentioned, you know, any kinds of trends that like I'm seeing um, just on TikTok and stuff. Um, and I was actually mm-hmm. looking at just like TikTok trends in terms of like dinner parties. And I feel like a lot of people right. on TikTok right now are kind of at the age where they're able to like spend a ton of money to just like do whatever they want. Um, and you can kind of see that in the way that they're uh, going to festivals and, you know, hosting things like dinner parties. I read this Eater article about how dinner parties are now very online. Like people are hmm. putting together or hosting these dinner parties and 
putting it on TikTok and giving tips on how to throw the best dinner party ever. Um, and I think it's funny because we have had people like that. Like we've had Martha Stewart around for years teaching us how to put together right. an amazing dinner party. But now these TikTok influencers and um, people who are just pretty much all on TikTok are giving tips on how to have a great menu and like, here's how to design a color palette. And here's what you need to have on your tablescape wow. for the perfect dinner party. And there's actually a company called Host, but it's uh, spelled H-A-U-S-T-E um, that oh offers gosh. guides on how to put together an amazing dinner party, which I think is just very, wow. um, it really explains like a lot of what is going on these days, just in terms of, you know, how things turn into a trend, even though they've, they've always been around, you know, dinner parties have always been around. Um, I'd love to know right. your thoughts on that. That's interesting, because it sounds like it's all for the all for the gram or for the talk or whatever it's called now, you know, <laughs> like, it's all for social media and, you know, showing people what you're doing and the look of it and the aesthetic. Um, but it does make me wonder if like any of that stuff tastes good or if they're actually in enjoying themselves <laughs> when they go to them. Yeah, to me, it's totally about experience, right? I mean, it's like no one goes to a friend's dinner party gathering, like expecting to have the best meal of their lives probably, right? right? But that's not the point. The point is to like have a good time. And I feel like people are always chasing, especially now with things being shared on social media, chasing that vibe and aesthetic of like really casual laid back time hanging out together with good food and in a beautiful space um and like to me like the dinner party is like the perfect it's always been the perfect thing um but it, it makes me very happy that younger generations seem to be discovering it now because i'm like yes welcome welcome to the wonderful stage in life when you're no longer out at bars until 2 a.m and you're instead gathering with friends over like a cold Sauvignon Blanc and having platter dinners in someone's backyard. <laughs> it's like the best time yeah. in life. In the pre-child years, sort of. <laughs> or or post, I mean, have it, but. yeah, I have a baby and I'm still very pro uh, casual backyard summer dinner parties. Thanks, everyone. That was fun. We have all these tips plus recipes available at dallasnews.com slash food. So be sure to check that out while you plan your parties this summer. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, I'm going to be talking about all things beer with George Esquivel, founder of Four Corners Brewery. That's right after this. Hey, listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Eat, Drink, DFW. I'm Erin Bookie, and we are going to talk about beer in this episode. I recently sat down with George Esquivel, founder of Four Corners Brewery in Dallas, and here are some excerpts from our chat. 
Welcome, George. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to meet you and be a part of uh, Eat, Drink, DFW. Well, great. Well, I've been really wanting to talk beer on the podcast for a long time, and we haven't yet, so you are our first beer guest, and I think you're a great one because Four Corners has always been personally one of my favorite breweries here in Dallas, and plus, y'all have such a great story. Can you tell me a little bit about just how and when you started Four Corners? Sure. The, uh, the origin story, I mean, we, we launched the brewery in in uh, November of, of 2012. I mean, we received equipment well before then, but yeah, I, depends on who you ask around here is when we launched, whether we received equipment or when I made a buck. And I, I always call it when we made a buck because <laughs> we were actually in business at that point. So. But uh, in 2012, right. it's, it's when we, we launched the brewery. Beyond that origin is uh, we were home brewing. Um, me and one of my partners, Steve Porcari, uh, were brewing in his garage as back far back as 2004. Through home brewing, met other like-minded people, craft beer fans who uh, we always had the same conversation of why our our craft beer scene was so lame when compared to other markets like Portland or Denver or you know San Diego. Even as recent as you know 10 years ago, there were only two breweries in, in the uh, in the North Texas area. You know, I'm a I'm a marketer by trade, so there's some things that just didn't make sense to me of how we could be a top five major metropolitan market and only have two breweries in our town. So um, that's what really got us motivated to, yeah, to change that, to really bring, you know, a craft beer scene to to Dallas and introduce people to to what we just consider better beer. So you guys were kind of on the forefront of craft beer movement in North Texas. Yeah, I'd say so. It was interesting. You know, we, we began to talk about launching a brewery somewhere in, you know, late of 2010. And by the time we got to 12, look, there were, you know, four other breweries that were in the works or, or kind of getting launched. We went from two to kind of six within a you know, 12-month period. The craft beer scene has really just, you know, gone beyond what we ever thought was, was going to be. I mean, we're north of 100 breweries now in, in the North Texans area, and uh, certainly uh, that growth has been across the state. What are some of your goals for brewing? Like your signature brew, what do you think does well here in the Dallas area? Our point of view on brewing is really to, to to have balance. For us, it's a it's a mode of expression, right? So some people play music, some people, you know, do, you know, art. You know, brewing is, is what we do and express ourselves that way. So we want to convey a, a bit of ourselves and what we're all about. When it comes to beer itself, it's like we just, you know, we don't go for extreme beers just to do extreme beer or really kind of, you know, off the wall flavors. We we stay true to kind of classic styles and put little spins on them. Local Buzz, one of our best selling beers, is a is a golden ale, but we brew it with some Texas um, Texas honey and a hint of rye malt just to give it a little little more character. One of our other best selling beers is El Chingon IPA, which is always like really really fun for you know hop adventures. So uh, even aside our our base beer of El Chingon, we can you know um, trigger around uh, some new hops or or um, you yeah, know, some variations on, on El Chingon. We say it's craft brewed inside and out. How we express ourselves is through packaging, really bright and vibrant brand is what we want to convey. Artwork is um, is another way to, to convey a little bit of, of who we are and what we're about. What are some, you know, kind of new flavors or styles that you've been 
experimenting with lately? Yeah, well, we have uh, out this year are a couple of beers that we've been experimenting with a, a year ago, and these are kind of, let's say, mango fresca. So it's a very light beer with you know, mango flavor to it, tropical flavor to it. Fruit forward beers have been you know, really kind of driving some of the innovation lately. That's one way we, we express. We have a um, sandia fresca, so that's a watermelon wit that, that'll be out here, uh, actually releasing in a couple of weeks. How do you kind of brew a seltzer and make a seltzer kind of differently than you would traditional beers? Seltzers aren't brewed. They're basically fermented, you know. Uh, okay, yeah. There's not a lot of brewing there, but we do brew a kombucha. And the kombucha brewing okay. process is, is very different from um, from the process of brewing beer. It's fermented with a, a SCOBY, so it's a you know, symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. So it's a, it's a quite different process to get there. It's a bit of a feat to really get that stabilized. And so we've been able to, to master that. We make a seltzer, we brew a kombucha, put these, pull these two things together with some natural flavors, and it's quite delicious. You know? And so I know you were kind of talking about how the Dallas area beer scene has evolved over time. Where do you see it um, kind of going, and what do you – what do you think Dallas needs, you know, more of or, or less of? It's exciting to see, you know, continued growth. I mean, I, I continue to see yeah. brew pubs and, you know, that model open. I, I don't know that we'll see, you know, a flood of commercial breweries, like really trying to, you know, take on a bigger space beyond a regional play or even like a hyper-local play. And that's where, where beer has really has gone. It's like, it, it's very hyper-local. So parts of Dallas, not just Dallas, but Richardson or, or Plano or McKinney. So hyper local to those to those uh, places, and I continue to see them open. Um, I think it's a smart model. I think if I had to do it all over again, probably offer something like that. <laughs> but you know, uh, at the time it was just a it was uh, a different time. Competition was um, wasn't as stiff as it is now. But I think that's what we'll continue to see, uh, and it's good to see it. Our energy was really based around getting a movement going here and getting people appreciating you know craft beer for for the product, but also for the just the the cultural aspect of it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, more breweries. And, and I think the bar is set really high here for quality of beer. And we're certainly seeing that reflected even with all the, yeah, you would think that you get more brewers than you get diluted, but um, consistently get really, really great beer in, in this town. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much, George, for, for being on the show. That was really super interesting. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what y'all are eating and drinking, trying and loving, and we want your questions too. So fill out our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. The show is produced by Natalie Kalmogun. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.